I'll show you politics in America. Here it is, right here. I think the puppet on the right shares my beliefs. I think the puppet on the left is more to my liking. Hey, wait a minute. There's one guy holding up both puppets. Shut up. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control. Read my lips. Just send your cash. There has never been so many lies, so much deception. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) Please clap. It's time for the Mike Madison Show, a new breed of conservative talk. Now, here's your host, Mike Madison. Showtime! All right, good morning. Welcome to the Mike Madison Show here at 103.9 WYAB. Thanks, as always, for joining me. I am your out, outsider, <laughs> your, your outlying radio show. And I don't mean that outlying, L-Y. I mean, is it outlying? I'm an outlier. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> Not what you'll typically hear on conservative radio here at WYAB from 9 to 10 o'clock on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So I appreciate everybody who's joining me. I uh, I wanted to get in today to Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin, but I haven't listened to it yet. I'm incredibly busy these days. I, I figured it out the other day. I was talking to somebody, and I was kind of looking at my day. I have somewhere around an hour and a half of free time a day. Seems like that's about right. That could be a, I could stay up a little bit later, but I have to get up really early. I'm in Eastern time. It is pitch black still at 7 o'clock. Really driving me crazy. I'm ready for daylight savings time. But I don't have a ton of time to look into stuff. So I have not watched the interview that Tucker did with Vladimir Putin yet. But I, I did get some clips on the media reaction to it. Much of it that took place before the interview even happened. Before it was posted. Before it dropped. And the media was losing their mind. It actually was pretty funny. But I've got a great clip from also uh, John Kirby one of the Biden regime's spokespeople, and he gives an answer that I just thought was very interesting, and I haven't heard anybody anybody point out what I see is pretty interesting about the clip, so we'll get to that in just a little bit. Before we do, though, I love, uh, love looking at the economy and dissecting it and getting through the propaganda that is we're in a booming economy, and a couple of days ago they got the inflation reading, and strangely enough, huh, inflation is popping back up again. It came in hot. The stock market didn't like it a bit. And if people understand why the stock market goes down when inflation goes up at a time like this, the reason is is because Wall Street wants inflation to come down because they believe that the Federal Reserve will then lower interest rates and they can get right back to all that free printed up money. That, that Wall Street's like a bunch of junkies on monetary heroin, and they spent about 12 years just soaking up all this free, interest-free money. And so they get very excited when they hear that inflation is coming down because, not because it affects really the, the operating profits of any business. We don't really talk fundamentals on stocks anymore. NVIDIA right now, it, it's a stock based around... Uh, the AI. That's really kind of where it caught. It was going to, I guess they make the chips that power AI. 
And everything's AI now. Everybody's so excited about AI. NVIDIA stock is trading. It's, it, it's insane. I can't remember the exact, the market cap is like, I don't know, 100 Toyota Motors. Something along those lines. That's, that's not accurate. But it's something about that absurd. So the stock market took a dive because inflation was going back up because they really want uh, to have more of that free money. And they're scared that this means the Federal Reserve can't cut rates. I would imagine a few realtors are upset to see <laughs> that interest rates are go- uh, that uh, uh, inflation is going back up. But just remember that here on the Mike Madison Show, I've warned you that this is the case. We seem to be following along the lines of the 1970s, which means that uh, we may be doomed to repeat it. I think it was around 1974. Arthur Burns was the head of the Federal Reserve at that time. Inflation was running. He raised interest rates a little bit. Inflation tamed a little bit, so he lowered interest rates, and that's when inflation really took off. And Arthur Burns, the Fed head at the time, went down as a huge failure, a cautionary tale. Somebody that left office in disgrace and was replaced by Paul Volcker, who was the next Federal Reserve chairman, who had to come in and raise rates to around 20, what did he get to, 21, 22%. Can you even imagine the screams that will come from anybody who is reliant on selling things on credit if interest rates get back up to 20, 21, 22%. So that's what Paul Volcker had to do. And I would imagine Jerome Powell, our current Fed head, had been thinking he was about to get away with something and now he is experiencing the night sweats because inflation is peaking again. Um, The thing is, is that people will say, well, Mike, I mean, they raised interest rates for almost two years now. Shouldn't inflation continue to come down? You know, I said many times when they first started hiking rates and they got rates up to like 3%, but inflation was running at 8%. And I explained, you've got to get interest rates above the inflation rate in order for it to actually push inflation down, to have a positive interest rate. If you've got a 3% interest rate to borrow money, but things are going up at 8%, you actually have a negative interest rate. I don't know if that's confusing to people, but that's the case. Well, they finally did get interest rates above the rate of inflation, at least how the government reports it. (laughs) We know, we know that inflation always runs at least double what the government reports. But they have had interest rates over the stated inflation rate. So why aren't, why isn't inflation coming down? And this is the thing that I hope people will take away from this, although I hold very little expectation that they actually will. As long as your federal, state, and local governments keep spending borrowed money, inflation will continue. And the problem is is that most people don't understand this, or they don't care, or they might really prefer to not know this, because it is always their political party or their political saviors that are guilty of doing this. These, These people that A large percent, I don't know, what is it, about 60% of Americans, maybe 30% are Democrats, 30% are Republicans, about 40% are independents. A lot of those think that they're just open-minded, but they eventually will support one party or the other. And then there's maybe, I don't know, maybe there's 5% that actually are like me. (laughs) We'll never support the two parties anyway. So most people don't want to admit that our side is actually the ones tying a rope around our financial necks and stealing our, ch- our children's future. Because it's so much easier and more fun and more 
more rebel rousing to get together and say it's the other guy's fault. And so they continue to get away with it. But that's why inflation is still going up. When you're running at the federal level, trillions of dollars of deficits, meaning you're just, they're creating more money, borrowing more money, bringing it into our economy. The government is spending it. So while the Federal Reserve is actually trying to tighten monetary conditions, our government apparatus is actually loosening financial conditions. And this is what's keeping inflation running. And there seems to be no appetite for actually walking that back at all. And so I just, I want to laugh at people who support either one of these two parties, and I understand. Yes, I will admit, as much as it even pains me, it's not by much. There's not a huge difference, but I will say the Republican Party is better. If I have to live somewhere and you force me to be under one of the two parties, I choose the Republicans 100 out of 100 times. But that doesn't mean it's good. But I want to just laugh at this kind of stuff, and I don't think it's fair. It's not fair to me. Poor me. Can I play the victim card here on the show for a minute? How is it fair to me that people use their ridiculous votes and their support to elect a bunch of people who steal from me and from my children? I mean, if you want to pay higher prices to support Biden or Trump, then knock yourself out. But why do I, and and again, my children, who I still find myself in some level of support to as they are entering the working world, why do I have to be dragged along in the undertow that people create by electing these mental midgets? And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to wrestle. I'm going to wrestle a lot during 2024, during this campaign season, as I watch Biden try to blame inflation on greedy corporations Not that they aren't out there. And there's even a little bit of evidence that maybe some of the price inflation we're seeing is maybe some of these big companies are taking a little advantage. Hey, the people are already expecting inflation. What's another 2%? You know, the cost of goods and the cost of labor has gone up 5%, but we could raise by 7% and kind of just blame it on inflation. I'm sure there's all kinds of games going on. But, of course, Biden is guilty of perpetuating this inflation and the fact that he's been a political parasite voting for these monstrous spending bills for 40-something years. He's largely responsible for the inflation that you've seen over your entire life up to and including today and especially the last two years. But don't fool yourself for one single second that Donald Trump did not play a hand in that when in 19, uh, excuse me, in 2020... He printed up, what was it, a quarter or a third of all dollars ever created in the United States were created during that one year in their ridiculous response to COVID. They did corporate bailouts. They did stimmy checks for people. The PPP plan, I mean, you could just list the, I think it ended up being six or seven trillion dollars. And the fact that Republicans can somehow pretend that that didn't happen. And of course, this goes down to the Congress critters even more directly. All of them. Well, almost all of them. All of them except for this. We got another big spending bill, another big foreign policy debacle that everybody is, the American people have no appetite for it, and Congress doesn't care. Open the champagne. Pop the cork. The Senate Democrat leader and the Republican leader are on their way to Kiev. They've got $60 billion they're bringing. I don't know if it'll be cash in pallets, but they're taking your money to Kiev. Now, they didn't have much time, really no time and no money, to do anything about our border. 
We're being invaded. A literal invasion is coming across our border. 800,000 people came illegally in the last month, and all they had time to do in the Senate was get the money, get the cash pallets, load the planes, get the champagne ready, and fly to Kiev. Isn't that amazing? So the Senate has passed this, what is it, $118 billion? I, can't, I, I get lost. You know, I love it when I hear that they, they've negotiated. You know, Republicans are holding a tough line. Essentially what, what, what compromise is between the Republicans and the Democrats, they take a terrible idea, and the Democrats want to fund it 100%, and the Republicans only want to fund that terrible deal 96%. And then they go out and campaign on being the fiscally responsible party, and talking about the debt that Joe Biden is running up. It's really quite amazing. That, of course, was Rand Paul talking about this. And I want to call people's attention. I don't know how many people are paying attention to this, but I see a lot of kind of heroes in the conservative movement right now as far as who's actually representing us in Congress, who's actually freeing people and cutting the size of government and, and Three of the big people that I see a lot of conservatives talk about is Rand Paul in the Senate, Thomas Massey in the House, and on the world stage, Javier Millet. And I just think to myself, you know what the commonality between all of these guys are, right? You understand the, the common thread between Rand Paul and Thomas Massey, don't you? It's not just the fact they're both from Kentucky. These are one of the two professed libertarian Republicans there. So if you actually want to see any real disagreement in Washington, D.C., you send a libertarian. And, and they are good, small, limited government people. Rand Paul sure has voted for things I would disagree with. Thomas Massey, I almost think he might have about a perfect voting record as far as what I can see. But anyway, I think he was a fan of Kevin McCarthy. I didn't understand that. I'll let that slide. Maybe he knows more than me, but I was happy to see Kevin McCarthy go. Anyway, they've passed this big, giant boondoggle. I wonder how the Mississippi senators voted. We'll take a look at that when we come back. Stick around. The Cohen blow, rough night in Jericho. Look the walls fall in. Yes, I'll be saved by love. So when I first ran across that clip by Rand Paul talking about this Senate bill, this foreign aid boondoggle that's going out there, of course, one of my first thoughts is, huh, I wonder how Roger Wicker and Cindy Hyde-Smith voted. Now, I did bother to look it up, not because I was actually thinking I was going to find anything that I didn't already know about Roger Wicker, but I was curious about Cindy Hyde-Smith, and to her credit, she didn't vote for it. I didn't look at the roll call. I don't know if she abstained or hid under her desk. But she did not vote for it. But of course, Roger Wicker. Roger Wicker voted for $60 billion more billion to Ukraine in a war that has long since been lost. And the reason that he did this, I mean, I would imagine most listeners to this show, to probably WYAB in total, I'm sure some of the W. GOP radio stations are probably carrying water for him, or maybe they even really cheer on the Ukraine war because that's the, that's the uh, conservative ink 
mantra, you know, your your Mitt Romneys, your Lindsey Grahams, your Mitch McConnells, they they kind of are the the flavor of a lot of the WGOP radio stations. But Roger Wicker knows he can do this, even if it makes people mad, because he's got hundreds of thousands. This is a bitter pill to swallow. He has got hundreds of thousands of Republican Kool-Aid drinkers in Mississippi that will keep him in his seat as long as he wants it. And when he does decide to leave, on his own time and his own schedule, this has been going on for 40 years in Mississippi when it comes to the people we send to the U.S. Senate. They, they retire midterm, they get a po- someone gets appointed by Tate Reeves, signed off on by the establishment Republican Party, and then they run as an incumbent with all of the cash and the goodies that go along with that campaign, thereby just assuring Mississippi you'll never primary any of these people. But really, the big reason is not so much the money and everything else. It is the, it's a state full of Kool-Aid drinkers. They just don't even, they don't even investigate this stuff. They, they say, and keep, say it with me, say it with me. What, what do people say when it comes to an election? Because I would imagine many people listening to the sound of my voice right now might be mad about Roger Wicker giving another $60 billion to Ukraine. Now, I'm not happy about $14 billion more, more to Israel. And last I saw was $4 billion to go to Taiwan to stir up another hornet's nest that we don't belong involved in in the first place. But I know a lot of conservatives really like their funding of Israel and Taiwan. Yeah, Mike, we shouldn't give it to Ukraine, but we got to make sure that, uh, that Israel and Taiwan can protect itself from the Chinese. It's for some reason, those, the, it just doesn't, there's no bridge there. The people that can see the mess that was Afghanistan, the mess that was Iraq, the mess that was Libya, the mess that was Syria, they can't quite see the mess that will be created with Iran and China. Like They can't quite see uh, the mess that will be created if we get involved in those, though they believe those are the just wars. But anyway, for 40 years now, Roger Wicker and the Republican Party know they don't even need to listen to you. They don't care what you think. Roger Wicker doesn't care if you are mad that the border is wide open while they send $60 billion to Ukraine. He knows that, and and I had a great quote I saw somebody put out the other day. It was more just kind of a statement, and they were just saying, it's really amazing the way Washington works and the way politicians get away from things. Essentially, it is something like this comes up, which I would say is, is kind of scandalous, isn't it? I mean, look at the state of Mississippi, the state of the United States right now, we got people flooding across the border. We've got inflation harming uh, probably 80% of Americans. It's a serious financial consideration that there is inflation. And for the bottom 50%, it's pretty catastrophic. You've got kids that are giving up on the American dream because of inflation and the cost of housing and school and cars and everything else. Our roads are an absolute wreck. We've got homelessness just out the wazoo, and they are spending $60 billion more for Ukraine, $14 billion to control the borders of Israel, the borders of Taiwan, the borders of Ukraine. And you would really think this would engender a real fire in Mississippians to say, not one more day in office for Roger Wicker of his ilk, but it doesn't. This is the bitter pill to swallow. 
They don't care. They know they've got you right where they want you. Most people, again, listening to me might be mad about these kinds of things, but for the vast majority of you, and I kind of get it, kind of, except it hasn't worked for 40 years now. I really don't know what one more election cycle is, but say it with me. We got to vote for Roger Wicker because anyone, anyone, we can't let a Democrat win that seat. That should just be, basically, Roger Wicker should put up a campaign, a landing page that just says, just him with a smirk on his face, and it's just the caption is just, what? You going to elect a Democrat? <laughs> right. That, that would be it. That's pretty much his entire campaign. He doesn't have to deliver anything for Mississippi. Oh, he'll throw you a, a military contract down on the coast and go down for a, a ribbon cutting or some of this, you know, some of this fat cash that's flowing out of Washington, D.C. to the military contractors. He'll take credit for that. People will pat him on the back and talk about how it's building their communities. But he knows there's absolutely no fear of Republicans losing those seats because we're so we're also terrified of the Democrats. Well, I gotta tell you. I don't vote for Roger Wicker, and I don't care if a Democrat wins. To be honest with you, I'm a lot less lonely when Democrats win. (laughs) Because when I faced off with the Trump regime, I was opposed by close friends. People at the radio station (laughs) really did not agree with me. But when I want to face off with the Democrat administration, oh, everybody's kind of my buddy. They understand the evils of government for four years or maybe eight years. And then they forget about them for four years and they think, oh, no, now the government's being used for good. So if Roger Wicker loses to a Democrat, it's not good for our nation. But Roger Wicker's not good for our nation. I'd at least like to hear people opposing the senator from Mississippi rather than trying to ignore what he's doing. And when I, when I come back, I want to play this clip from John Kirby, one of the Biden regime spokesholes, and he was asked about the Tucker-Putin interview. And I just thought his answer was very telling. It's almost not the what he said as much as how he answered a question that I found so interesting and I think illuminating. We'll do that when I come back. Stick around. We are back. This is the Mike Madison Show, 103.9 WYAB. The show is podcast. If anyone's interested in subscribing, if you can't always tune in for just 9 to 10 o'clock on Wednesdays or Thursdays, you can find the Mike Madison Show out there in podcast form. I appreciate the people who communicate with me and download the podcast. And when I don't upload podcasts, they actually say, where's your show? I have to work during the day. Where's your show? (laughs) And I'll have to admit, I just whiffed on last week. Didn't post any of last week's episodes, and I'm sorry. I promise you, I, I am. I'm. I'm busy. Do I sound tired? I'm a little tired. I think this assignment is on its last legs, so I'll have a little bit of time off. But anyway, uh, you can check out the podcast. It's a podcast on Apple Podcasts and Podbean is where I post it, but pretty much anywhere. It's, uh, occasionally, people will send me something and say. I can't believe you had this ad on your podcast. <laughs> like, I don't sell any ads on my podcast. 
And so it, sometimes I think, you know, they're making money off my show, but of course they're also giving me a platform. I think it's kind of a good tit for tat. I think it's about equal, but I'm not responsible for any ads you hear on any of my podcast shows anywhere. It ain't going to me. It ain't going in my pocket. But I wanted to get into this. So John Kirby, John Kirby, uh, Tucker Carlson went and did an interview with Vladimir Putin. As I said at the beginning of the show, I've not had a chance to listen to it now. But part of the reason is, you know, I kind of knew what would be covered in this thing. I, I, I love that Tucker did it. I think it's important. I think it's fantastic. But I, I knew these things. I, I've, I got on air and talked back in February of 2022 ad nauseum for weeks on end about why Russia did what they did. And I didn't think they would do it, but I understood it. I didn't think it was a good thing, but I understood it. And most people don't understand the history, and I, I know that they covered some of that history during Tucker's interview, so it was great. But I thought it was the media reaction to it, our own regime's reaction to just merely talking to somebody. You know how far we've come? Ronald Reagan in the Cold War, very dangerous time in the Cold War, had nuclear weapons pointed at each other. I think a couple of close encounters, real hostility between the Western world, particularly the USA and the USSR. Reagan always kept an open channel between himself and Moscow. And that resulted in ultimately the Soviet Union collapsing and the wall coming down. John Kennedy, even during the Bay of Pigs, had backdoor channels, I think largely around our intelligence agencies, my understanding, because they were really fomenting this war. These neocons, they're not new. The warmonger has been around a long time. They were there, obviously, before Eisenhower. He tried to warn us about them. But Kennedy kept an open line of communication with Nikita Khrushchev so that nothing, nothing kicked off, nothing got too out of control. We now live in a day and time where our media and our government tells us we are not talking to him. Something that could spiral into World War III and kill millions to hundreds of millions of people around the planet, they say, not only are we not engaged in any uh, diplomacy, we're just flat out not going to talk to Putin, and we won't even listen to what he has to say. been many times where there have been bodies, uh, whether it's the UN or other, the G7, and somebody from Russia gets up to speak, and everybody walks out. Hundreds of millions of lives in the balance of stopping this ridiculous war and understanding what the Russians are concerned about. They have legitimate concerns. And instead of listening to those things and engaging with them diplomatically, Western leaders walk away like children with their fingers in their ears. Yeah, 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 you're talking, but I cannot hear you. It's really quite amazing, and it shows how little regard they have for the lives of people on this planet. Because as you'll notice, the political class usually isn't the one to pay the price for these. They're not fighting. I think somebody might have introduced legislation one of the kind of cute Republican girls, I think, introduced or put together a bill to say, if you vote for Ukraine funding, then you have to go serve on the front lines. That's beautiful. I've, I've always said, I think that wherever there are hostilities going on, where they have committed U.S. troops is where Congress has to meet. How long do you think it would have taken to end the Iraq war if Congress had to meet in Fallujah every day until it ended? That would be a great idea. God knows we've got the space. We're building buildings all over the world for ourselves. There's plenty of room for these parasites to go over there and try to carry on their business in a war zone instead of just our middle and lower class kids 
being the ones to suffer. Anyway, here is the Biden regime's, one of their main spokesholes, John Kirby, and he's asked about how this interview that Tucker Carlson did with Vladimir Putin, how it, you know, how it might affect people's views. And I want you to hear this answer. Do you have any concern that Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin could further erode support for Ukraine in the United States? Um, I, I, we're convinced that there is strong bipartisan support on Capitol Hill for supporting Ukraine. Um, and we know there's efforts now to bring something up onto the Senate floor for a vote that would have Ukraine, Israel, Indo-Pacific, and humanitarian assistance, so supplemental funding in it at, and without the, the border. Uh, we'll, let the we'll, we'll let senators work that out. The president believes that support for Ukraine is critical, particularly right now, uh, as Russia continues to try to uh, hit their defense industrial base, continue to hit their units on that battlefront from, from east to south. It, it, it's vital. Uh, and he's confident that uh, and he and based on the meetings he's had with, with leaders on Capitol Hill and the discussions he's had certainly uh, uh, over recent weeks uh, that again the leadership even on the House side the leadership is solidly in support of supporting Ukraine now whether they're going to how they're going to be affected or impacted by a television interview I, I couldn't begin to, to, to guess I guess I'm asking beyond just Congress among the American people many of whom you know watch Tucker Carlson's show and how are inclined already to be skeptical of American support for Ukraine, would hearing directly from Putin potentially erode that further, not just in the halls of Congress, but among the people? I think the American people know well who's at fault here, and I think they know that there was no ground whatsoever for the invasion on February 22nd, two years ago. The, uh, he, he invaded a neighboring country with, without provocation. Ukraine wasn't a threat to anybody, and the American people understand that. And the American people understand what Ukraine's fighting for. And all they're asking for is our help. They're not asking for American boots on the ground. Again, I don't think the American people are going to be swayed by one single interview. And I think anybody that watches that interview, again, I haven't seen whatever whatever's said, need to, need to make sure you're, 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 remember, you're listening to Vladimir Putin. And uh, you shouldn't take at face value anything he has to say. So there's, there's a lot in there to unpack. I love the fact that they just invaded one of his neighbors. Ukraine wasn't a threat to anybody. Says the guy who invaded Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, Somalia, Sudan, Yemen. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know anybody... Anybody listening to me right now has ever gone to gone to sleep worried that your Iraq was going to come take your stuff, that the Yemenis were going to come take your stuff, they were going to invade this country. None of them were ever a threat to the United States, and yet we invaded all of them. But the most interesting thing I found about that clip was the way he originally answered that question. You hear the reporter say, what do you think this interview, people who listen to this interview with Putin, what kind of effect do you think that will have on people's opinions? He immediately goes to Congress. He started talking about, well, I, I think that we've got funding for this. I think there's bipartisan support for that. Even in the House where the Republicans rule the roost, we've got, we've got support for funding there. 
And, and then the reporter has to say, well, I, I guess I was really asking about what the American people, you know, what, what you think their perception might be if they listen to this. <laughs> and, I just, and, and it hit me when I heard him re-ask that question, because I thought that's what he was asking in the first place before Kirby went on and on about, you know, these 535 corrupt guys and gals up in uh, Washington, D.C. And I realized, oh, yeah, Kirby didn't even stop to think for a second what the American people might think about it, because he doesn't care. See, Washington, doesn't, D.C. doesn't care about what you think. They are concerned with what the political class thinks, right? And, and they have to be. Because it doesn't matter what people out here think. As long as the special interests control just the very slim top layer of the two political parties— then the oligarchs, the defense contractors, the pharmaceutical companies, big food, big uh, just any of these industries, the banking industry, Wall Street, as long as they control really just a sliver of people, they get everything they want. Because the way the system is set up in this two-party system is even if you go to Congress, you're leaned on by your leadership to vote a certain way, Right. So leadership, you know, the, the qualification for being Speaker of the House is not that you're the best or the brightest or anything like that. For all these committee assignments, it's not because you're the most well-versed in foreign policy or the most economically literate Congress critter. No, that's not the litmus test. It's how much money do you raise for the party? Kevin McCarthy was a rainmaker for the Republican Party. He raised a lot of money. He doled it out to other Congress critters, and so they put him in the Speaker's chair. And it's really a, a pretty smart, ingenious system for the oligarchs that control this country. They just have to give tons of money to just a few dozen people, right? And the rest of the party, the rest of the 535, and then by virtue of that, 90% of the American people all come along for the ride. And all they really have to do is bribe that top a few dozen people. You know, you got to get the... You gotta get the Committee chairs, you got to get the president, the vice president, the speaker of the house, the Senate majority leader, the Senate minority leader, the majority whip. You know what I mean? The people that are calling the shots, that decide what gets to the floor. It's just a few dozen people. And so all of these special interests buy them. So John Kirby doesn't care what Americans think about any of these things. He, he may not even know, you know, these people live in a bubble and he may believe his own lies that, well, American people know not to listen to, not to listen to Vladimir Putin. But it just really hit me there. That is the level of thinking in Washington, D.C., is the leadership brings to the floor things that they want to vote on to pay back the special interests that got them to where they are. You are an afterthought. Maybe in an election year, if elections are even the least bit honest anymore. Maybe they have to come out and pander to you for a few months. They'll act like they care about you then. But the government doesn't care. The, the machine doesn't care what you think about anything. That's why you have homelessness and nobody's doing anything about it. That's why you've got crumbling infrastructure because the roads are for little people, right? That's why your air travel on commercial airlines has just gotten worse and worse and you're molested by TSA because... These people don't go through TSA. They pull up to the hangar and they board their G5 or G7. I ain't a roller, so I don't really know the lingo. 
But it's amazing. They don't care what you think. When I come back, I got to take a break. But I did want to get into this too. Again, I can't really comment to the interview. I didn't listen to it yet. I certainly will. But the media's reaction to Tucker Carlson interviewing Vladimir Putin was about as funny as it gets. We'll do that when I come back. Woke up in my closet and the All right, final segment. I got to tell you, sometimes I miss my two hours a day, five days a week, trying to cram everything into this show, but let's get to it. The media's reaction to Tucker Carlson was delicious. <laughs> they, were, they were not happy that he dared to go over and speak to Vladimir Putin, one of the most important men in the world, just in the consequence of what he decides. You know, the, he's very important in deciding the fate of millions and millions of people. And our government won't talk to him. Our media won't talk to him honestly. They will just, and, and he knows it, so there's no reason to sit down. Whether they're even trying, I don't know. People put out some great pictures where they've got George Stephanopoulos interviewing him. He's called a journalist. Uh, the, all these different talking heads over the years that have interviewed Putin, and they're all award-winning journalists, right? Air quotes around all of that. But when Tucker Carlson dares to go interview Vladimir Putin, it's a different story, isn't it? He is not a journalist. He is not someone that you need to take seriously. In fact, he's someone who there would be no reason to take him seriously so he cannot be held liable for the things that he says. So to try to couch what he's doing right now as supposedly being, being about journalism is absolutely ridiculous. But Tucker Carlson is going to be there and be the journalist that none of us are. Actually, Tucker, you are not in journalism. A long time ago, sure, but these days, you've been in the propaganda business. And Knock I say, out. yeah, journalist in quotes. Yes. Um, am I allowed to say his name? Yes, yes, I'm just... His name is Tucker Carlson, and he is the only American journalist who has been able to interview Putin since. You can hear, you can hear how just condescending they are, how smug they are. Remember, these are the people being laid off in droves. I mean, just in the past few weeks, staffs are being cut by 20%, Sports Illustrated 100%. These people that were so-called air quotes here in the studio, journalists, are being laid off in record numbers. Their ratings are going through the floor. Unfortunately, Trump may fix that. But they are being... They are being uppity and looking down their nose at Tucker Carlson, who on this interview got, last I heard, 180 million views. The top-rated show at CNN can't pull 700,000. Just listen to these people. It takes a lot of balls to say these things. It's the invasion in 2022. Tucker Carlson is not a journalist, not even close. Why he's doing this interview now, obviously for the Kremlin, it makes sense if they want to talk. It's a friendly, it's a friendly voice, but we will keep trying our best to actually commit journalism. Some of us, <laughs> Tucker, have already decided. You are literally the worst media figure imaginable to be doing an interview with Russia's Vladimir Putin. You have no journalistic credibility. None. I mean, he's like a puppy dog. I find it gobsmacking terrifying, yeah. too, Ali. And it's kind yeah. of like we talk about, you know, disinformation on social media. Well, disinformation from people like Tucker Carlson. Yeah. Tucker Carlson is lying from the streets of Russia, no less. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my gosh. Tucker Carlson gets more views between the hours of 6 a.m. and 7 a.m. than any of those people enjoy an entire week. But they sit in judgment of him. 
the journalism as a profession and as a title, it, to me, it's almost like everything else. What, what does anything mean anymore? What is a conservative? What is a, what is a liberal? You know, a liberal that loves war in Ukraine? It makes no sense to me. None whatsoever. A liberal who supports Vladimir Zelensky that has arrested his opponents, has shut down the media, has assassinated journalists, is sacrificing his own men, is supporting a Nazi brigade. That's what a liberal's in love with. So none of these labels make any sense anymore, but journalism is certainly one thing that those people cannot be accused of. And for them to come after Tucker Carlson just really cracks me up. So probably more on that after I listen to the interview. If I find anything that I haven't covered here on this show already ad nauseum, and Tucker's Carl uh, covered it too, but he went to the, went to the horse's mouth. Uh, anyway, I wanted to play this real quick. I'm going to get this in at the, at the last minute. For those of you out there still supporting the government of Israel and the slaughter of the Palestinians right now, I just thought this was kind of an interesting. It's in, it's in Hebrew, I guess. So I'll, I'll narrate a little bit, and then I'll tell you what this clip is. This is an industrial printer we used to replace a slaughterhouse. And capable to print tons a day. I, don't, I might have had that audio up too loud. Um, this is Benjamin Netanyahu smiling and uh, viewing a fake meat, lab-grown meat plant in Israel. And this just always kind of cracks me up because Benjamin Netanyahu, for all of the support he gets from many people in the MAGA crowd, Benjamin Netanyahu is a neocon warmongering globalist. And I find it quite mystifying how somehow his cause with Israel and the Palestinian people gets so much love from a populist movement like MAGA. Yeah, that's him pushing the fake meat in the same country that injected like 95% of their people with experimental vaccines that is known for their woke military. The government of Israel is not your friend. It's a globalist organization, and I'm going to use every opportunity I can to expose that to you. That's all the time I got. Have a great one. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Yo, when, when it's time, no handle business, and we know what to do. What to do. Me and my-